Uh, but let's look now at Galatians chapter 5. We are uh, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to go to probably the most um, popular passage on the Spirit, or at least the fruit he produces in Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 13 and go to the end of the chapter. Paul wrote, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we need you. For there is a battle raging in your church and in the hearts of your believers. And so we need you this morning. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and would you deliver us from those things that captivate us and enslave us and seek to destroy us? Oh God, would you set us free to love you and to love each other? Would you develop right here in our midst a body that is known by the fruit of your Holy Spirit? Oh God, would you make us a loving people, a joyful people, a peaceful people, a patient people, a kind people, a good people, self-controlled and gentle. Oh Father, would you come by the power of your Spirit and would you give us understanding this morning? Would you show us where we've been pursuing the wrong things? And would you take our repentance to a deeper level today that we might be yours? And that this world might see Christ in the midst of us. And that this world might know that there is hope because there is power in the Spirit of Christ. Oh, Father, would you come and do your work among us. We look forward to what you're going to do. For we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I realized this week that the last couple of sermons that I preached have been pretty tough. The... The last sermon that I preached here was um, out of Acts 2 and, and, and Genesis 11. And uh, I looked at those passages and kind of wove in the current events of Trayvon Martin. And I felt like 
uh, you could hear a pin drop for about 45 minutes in this place as we were dealing with that issue in this church. And so I thought we might need to lighten things up a little bit, at least at the beginning. So uh, I, I found this song, and I actually had to go to Chris Davis to find this, because I don't listen to much country music, but Chris is just a fanatic of country music. And I said, what, what are the young people listening to, Chris? And uh, he said, well, Luke Bryan crashed my party. I said, oh, all right. So... Uh, here, here's the chorus of Luke Bryan's Crash My Party. If you want to call me, call me, call me. You don't have to worry about it, baby. You can wake me up in the dead of the night. You can wreck my plans, baby, that's all right. This is a drop everything kind of thing. Swing on by and I'll pour you a drink. And it's really not drink, it's drank. That's how they say it in Nashville. The door's unlocked, I'll leave on the lights. Baby, you can crash my party anytime. It don't matter what plans I got, I can break them. Yeah, I can turn this thing around at the next red light. You can just picture a big truck, you know, lifted off the ground. And I don't mind telling all the guys I can't meet them. We can all go out on any other night. And it goes on from there. That song points to the reality that there's a huge difference between doing something out of duty and doing something out of love. Uh, between doing something because you want to do it and doing something because somebody told you to do it. And the difference is huge because, in essence, what God calls us to is to love because it's rooted in who He is. John tells us that God is love. And so we can't just think that what we do can be disconnected from who we are and this whole reality of love. And this is so central to the Christian life that Jesus tells us that love is the greatest commandment. To love God and to love neighbor is the essence of Christianity because it's the essence of who He is. And therefore, as we think about the Spirit's work in our lives, what He is up to in us, We have to at least assume and believe the Scriptures that what the Spirit is about doing in our lives is He is about making us loving people. What the primary thing that He wants to do is to make you and me lovers of God and lovers of one another and lovers of others. That's what God is up to. Because then we're some good to God, but we're also some good to somebody else. I ran into somebody recently in uh, Bluff City Coffee that I found out knows my um, son-in-law, the, the Nate, who married my daughter Ashley. And uh, it was one of the most rewarding conversations because um, this person told me that, bef- that, you know, before Nate met my daughter Ashley, that, you know, he was just a different person, that he wasn't near as happy. Uh, he, he wasn't near as outgoing. He, he didn't have as much joy as he does now. But he, she said, but boy, he's got, he's got a, different, a different step about him. <laughs> and you want to hear that as a father. You want to hear that your son-in-law loves your daughter. But what, what was interesting about that is it's not just that he was some good to my daughter because he loved her, but he was some good to her, this person that I met in the coffee shop. You see, that's what love does. When you're in love, you don't just love the object of your love, you love everything better. And that's the purpose. When we are passionately in love with God, we are loving in a way that can only be characterized by Christ. 
And that's what the world needs to see. That's what the world needs. It's not a reasoned argument of our faith. And hear me, I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying that's not most important. What's most important is that that reasoned argument of your faith is coming from a life that is radically different. A life of love. The world has felt the judgment of God's people and yet not the love of God's people. And you see, the reality is that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Truth and grace. And so often we in the church are just full of truth. We're so easy to judge, but we're so slow to love. And so what the Spirit is doing is He is driving deep into our souls to make us loving people. Look at that this morning. The first thing that we need to see is that the Spirit is about transforming us into the very image of Jesus. That's what He's about. He is about coming in and changing us radically. And I don't think we get that. This week, uh, the news just you know, was blowing up with Anthony Weiner um, articles and you know, talk show hosts were making fun of the guy. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, he is uh, still the mayoral candidate um, in New York City. And um, he was busted a couple years ago for sexting, sending out images of himself to women, not his wife. And um, he admitted within the last couple weeks that he's been doing the same thing. And up to 6 to 11 women, he's kind of lost count. And really up to that time, it was interesting to watch the news media report it. You know, it was kind of soft at first, and then as, as it got deeper and deeper uh, in terms of how many incidences were occurring, uh, the, the, the news just kind of turned it on. And this whole issue was being debated on the news and in New York of, you know, does it really matter what you do in your private life? Does your private life um, have anything to do with how you perform in office or how you perform as a doctor or lawyer or whatever? And I don't think there's any better city that deserves kind of the humiliation of this whole thing than New York City. Um, because New York has prized, they've answered that question. And the answer to that question is, what's important is not who you are, but what you do. What you can produce. You know, how you can succeed, how high you can go, because everybody's smart. Everybody's talented in New York, but who's the best of the best, you see? So does it matter? I mean, does it matter what, who a person is, or is it just all about what he does? And you would think that we could come and look at the church and it would be very evident. That we could answer that question very clearly. But friends, I don't think we can. I'm reading a book right now by Paul David Tripp entitled uh, A Dangerous Calling. And in that book, he is um, dealing primarily with this issue of... Um, how we in the ministry have looked or, or made this distinction and really drawn this line between what a person can do and who a person is. And what we really care about in the church today is what a person can do and not who a person is. And he, he's making this point in an early chapter, and he's describing the process that a church goes through, a hypothetical and probably not so hypothetical church goes through, to hire a new minister. And he, he, he describes the pulpit committee that listens to, to tapes and finds the best preacher they can find. And then they go visit and they, you know, they hear this man preach and they're, they're enthralled. And oh yeah, they do kind of a follow-up 
uh, interview, but they were captivated by the preacher and the preaching. And so they hire him, and within two years, he crashes and burns. And Paul David Tripp talks about that in his book, and he writes this. He said, the problem was a vertical problem. It had to do with the character and content of this pastor's relationship with God. The problem was the pastor's lack of living a humble, needy, worshipful, meditative communion with Christ. It was as if Jesus had left the building. Oh, there were all kinds of ministry knowledge and skill, but those seemed divorced from a living communion with a living and ever-present Christ. All this knowledge and skill and activity seemed to be fueled by something other than love for Christ and a deep, abiding gratitude for the love of Christ. In fact, it was all shockingly impersonal. It was about theological content, exegetical rightness, ecclesiastical commitments, and institutional advancement. It was about preparing for the next sermon, getting the next meeting agenda straight, and filling the requisite leadership openings. It was about budget, strategic plans, and ministry partnerships. None of these things are wrong in themselves, Tripp says. Many of them are essential, but they must never be ends in themselves. But they must never be the engine that propels the vehicle. They must all be an expression of something deeper, and that something deeper must reside in the heart of the senior pastor. It must ignite and fuel his ministry at every level, And what ignites his ministry must ignite every aspect of his personal life as well. The pastor must be enthralled by, in awe of, can I say it, he said, in love with his Redeemer. So that everything he thinks and desires and chooses and decides and says and does is propelled by love for Christ and the security of rest and the love of Christ. He must be regularly exposed, humbled, assured and given rest by the grace of his Redeemer. His heart needs to be tenderized day after day by his communion with Christ so that he becomes a tender, loving, patient, forgiving, encouraging, and giving servant leader. His meditation on Christ, his presence, his promises, and his provisions must not be overwhelmed by his meditation on how to make his ministry work. You see, it's only love for Christ that can defend the heart of the pastor against all the other loves that have the potential to kidnap his ministry. And friends, I want to tell you this morning that that is not just true for a pastor, but it's true for you. The only reason that it's true for a guy like me or a guy like Chris or a guy like Rick is because we are to be showing you how to live the Christian life. It's not that our leaders do it for us, it's that our leaders lead us, lead us as we seek Christ. As they're seeking Christ, we're teaching you how to seek Christ. But it's all about Christ. And unfortunately in the church today, we have not just followed a methodology of if we can just get the right man, then we're doing church. If we can all just get in the room and all feel like we've heard a well-crafted sermon with tremendous insight, then we've done church until we do church again next Sunday. But what we see in this passage is that Paul is saying, no, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are while you do what you do. And you can't replace the two. What we see in this passage is that the primary responsibility, look at it, 
in verse 16 is, So I say, live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, other translations say. Verse 27, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The difference between fruit and gifts, between spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts, is that a spiritual gift is what we do in God's power, but a spiritual fruit is who we are in God's power. And spiritual gifts can never replace spiritual fruit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of of, of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Friends, God is serious about this. Look back at this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, man, do I impress a lot of people. I'm not loving in the process, I gain nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy, do you know what we do with men who have the gift of prophecy and we don't care if they love or not? We pay them the most money and we put them in the biggest churches. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, wow. Wow. You know what we do with people that can fathom all mysteries? We put them in the best universities and the best seminaries. The ones that have all knowledge, we pay them a lot of money to write books. <laughs> we don't care if they love. We don't care. If you have that gift, you are our superstar. So feed us, preach to us, perform for us. Sell everything and give to the poor. And that's the end today, isn't it? That's the new movement in the church today. You hear that Paul says you can do that, but if you have not love, you're nothing. It doesn't matter what charity, how much time you're giving to a charity. If you're not loving the people you're serving, then you are nothing. You're like a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, just a bunch of noise to God. You have faith that can move mountains. You know what you do? If you have faith in the church, if you're a visionary leader, buddy, we, put, you know, we let you train other church planters because you can plant churches. You can see things and bring them to fruition, things that other people can't see. Oh, teach us how to do the same. We don't care how you, how you treat us. We, we don't care that you don't have time for us. Just, just make a DVD series. That's all we need. God is not primarily looking for us to add value to His kingdom, but to be someone valuable in His kingdom. The most effective people for the kingdom of God are not those with gifts, but those who use the gifts that God has given them out of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you hear me? The most effective people in the church 
are not those and should not be those who make the most noise, who have the greatest gifts, but it's those who are quietly loving, quietly being joyful in the midst of tremendous, tremendously horrible circumstances, who are peace-loving, patient and kind and good and self-controlled and gentle. The people who never push themselves up, but who are content because they know that their Savior loves them. And their Savior has, has saved them by His own sacrifice. And that their Savior lived quietly among people for most of His life. And He didn't look for fame and fortune. And why should I? Am I above my teacher? See, the fruit of the Spirit. God's not looking for our value add to His kingdom. Do you, do you hear that this morning? Do you know what he told a group of people? He said, look, go preach, go teach. But if you don't do it, I'll get these stones to do it. You know what he was saying? I will t- Richard Reeves, you don't go do it. I'll take this stone over here, and I'll make that stone be a better preacher than you ever. <laughs> I mean, do you know how that kind of humbles me? God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. And you say, yeah, but we've got to go do these things so that we can be right with God, so that He'll love us. No, Jesus makes us right with God. And it's Jesus alone. Only His blood, only His finished work. It's called justification. And Jesus came and He lived under the law for us. He loved His neighbor as Himself because He knew Richard Reeves could never do it. And so now Richard Reeves tries to love his neighbor, but he clings to the finished work of Jesus in fulfilling the law for him. He says, hallelujah, thank you that you loved your neighbor better than I can ever love my neighbor. And I'm one of them. I'm one of your neighbors. Then he died for our sin. He became our sin and he died for us. So there's nothing I can do to pay God back for sins that I commit. Only Jesus can do that because he has atoned for my sin. You say, so what does God want from us then? He wants to make us new. He wants you to be holy. And what we've heard in the past is that holiness is don't drink, uh, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. But what we see here is that holiness is altogether gift different. We have this list of, of holy as all those things you, you, you stay away from. But here's God's list. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. You know what God wants from us. That's what He wants from us. That's holiness. is to go out into a world and to show them what God is like. See, we're looking for God to do renovation. Come down, help me make this little tweak. And He wants to come down, tear the foundation out, rebuild the foundation and the walls where people stand back and go, man, that guy used to be a jerk, but now he's loving and he's patient. You see what happens if you just start serving God, but you are not not developing it by the Spirit's power, the fruit of the Spirit. You're an incredible preacher who's still a jerk. You're an incredible Sunday school teacher who is real impatient, you know. Uh, you're a you're a nonprofit worker, you know, who who can write books and think through, you know, um, uh, th- this new way of uh, economic theory. 
But man, you're the most sour person to be around. But that's, it's okay because you can still, you can write books and you can write papers. No. God says, no. Write those books. Use your gifts as the Spirit of God is changing you from the inside out so that you, the messenger, are different. And that's what God is up to. The Spirit of God is about transformation, but secondly, the Spirit fights in and with us in this battle. The Spirit fights in and with us. This is a battle, and we see it here. If you understand this, you'll understand it's a battle. I have a friend who was moving from Oxford, Mississippi to um, Greeley, Colorado, and he was in a U-Haul truck and was in nowhere, Oklahoma, almost to Kansas when he broke down. Um, he was alone, and um, he, um, you know, the, the, the truck ran out of gas, and it was a diesel truck. And if you've ever run out in a diesel truck, you know it's not just a matter of finding the fuel, but you've got to know how to make that, that got to prime that engine and make that engine go again. Well, he knew he was toast. I mean, he's on the side of the road. It, it, it's late. And about the time he was sitting there losing hope, he hears this truck slowing down, on the, coming from the other direction. Cross, he sees it cross the median and come back and pull up behind him. And the guy gets out and says, what's going on? And he tells him, he said, well, I just happen to have a, a can of, of diesel fuel. And he said, do you know how to um, you know, prime this engine with a diesel fuel? And my friend said, no. And he said, well, I do. Here, let me do it for you. You see, he was in a helpless situation. He could do nothing to propel himself forward, but help came. That's the picture of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that we need to see is that we are in a battle. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and how my own flesh tries to convince me time and time again that when I am battling with sin, I, I feel like something's wrong or you feel like something's wrong. No, that just means you're a Christian. It's, something's wrong when you're not battling sin. Something's wrong when there's not a struggle because you are a sinner. And so if you're not fighting your sin, if I'm not fighting my sin, if it's not a struggle, it's, it's not because I've reached perfection or you've reached perfection. It means that you've given yourself over to your flesh. You see, the Christian life is a struggle. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. He goes on in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Paul said, this is, this is his own personal struggle. You relate to this? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do... I do not do, but I end up doing what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Anybody there this morning? If you're a Christian, you should know that, and you should be right there. For what I do not do, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. If you don't know that battle this morning, then it's because 
you have been using your gifts maybe for God and not seeking God to produce fruit in you. If you want to get in this battle, then say, when I go to school tomorrow, when I go to work tomorrow, when I go to my home today, when I get in the car with my wife or husband or family or or roommate or whoever, I'm going to love them. Go try to love somebody this week. You're going to have a battle. Try to be joyful in any and all situations. Try to be at peace with those around you who are seeking to pick a fight. Try to be patient with those that are trying your patience. Try to be kind to those who absolutely annoy you. Friends, you're going to have a fight. So you'll not have much resistance when you seek to simply serve God with your gifts and not attempt to be like God in holiness. That's what I think John the Baptist was after. In Luke chapter 3, he comes and he announces um, the, the ministry of Jesus. And listen to what he says to the crowd, Luke 3, 7 through 14. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Do you see what he's doing here? What what John is doing is he's saying, go the way of love. Find somebody and love them. Don't just go to work tomorrow and let it be business as usual. But you go find somebody that you can lay your life down for. If you've been taking too much money from people, if you've been whining about how much you were getting paid, stop and be joy-filled. You see it, what John was saying is go for the the fruit of the Spirit. Try to aim at the fruit and your flesh will be right there with you. But guess what? So will the Spirit. That's the hope. Do you understand this morning that if you are in this fight, whatever you've identified as that which you're fighting against, you are not fighting alone. What I want you to feel right now is what my friend was feeling when he was on the side of the road with his head on his steering wheel, thinking he had no hope, and then what happened? Hope came. Hope for you as a believer is the Spirit of Christ Himself that lives in you. This is what Paul is saying. If you're a husband and you feel like I'm never going to get it right, or you're a wife and you feel like you're never going to get it right, or you're a child or or a parent or whoever, an employee or an employer, and you think I'm never going to get it right, I'm never going to learn to be joyful and patient and kind and good. And I mean, how can I do it in my job? Because it's a fast-paced job. And how can I do it as a teacher? Because I've got to be firm. And 
you feel like there's no hope for you, guess what? Paul doesn't just tell us that our flesh is warring. He tells us that the Spirit of God Himself is warring. This is what happens when we become a Christian. Before we're a Christian, we're fighting with God. After, or fighting against God, excuse me. After we become a Christian, we are fighting with God against. You see that you're not fighting for God. He's not up here looking down, watching, going, oh, how are you doing? Uh, I don't know. You didn't really love much today. You kind of lost your patience there a little bit. No, He is in you, fighting with you. He is yearning with you. He's saying, you want to do it? I want to do it even more for you. Let's go together. That's what Jesus said in John 14. And I will ask the Father. I mean, His his disciples were saying, we want to keep you here. And He said, no, 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 you don't understand. No, you don't want me here. There's somebody better coming. You think it's good being with me? Wait till I'm in you by my Spirit. Listen. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you. Do you need help? And He will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Hallelujah. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, I'm not going to relate to you of here's the law and I try to get to it. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Dear Christian, are you living as if you believe that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you? Be encouraged today in your battle against sin. Romans 8, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Listen, the Spirit, or, or, the spirit is not a, a graduation gift. It's, just, it's not something that, you know, you kind of get to a certain level in the Christian life and then God says, okay, now I'll give you the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you already have the Spirit because that's how you are a Christian. You didn't believe on your own. You didn't repent on your own. Your faith and your repentance was a gift of the Spirit of Christ who came to dwell in you to make you a believer. And and the Spirit is with us, Jesus said, forever. So He comes in and He stays. (laughs) Say, yeah, but you don't know me, Richard. You don't know my struggles. You don't know... You're right, but God does. And He knew it before the struggle ever hit you. He knew it before you were ever born. And he said, you're mine. And I choose to be in you and with you. Dear friend, there's hope if you're beaten down. There is hope. And the first step is just simply acknowledging that I am not alone. Every day this week, you ought to write it down. Put it on your calendar as a reminder. Put it in a note. Do whatever you've got to do. Put it on your refrigerator. I am not alone. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me. Whatever I face today, I fight not just alone, but I fight with Him. That's what the Spirit is about. And then thirdly and finally, the Spirit leads us to a new and loving way of living. It's a whole new way of living. What is this new way of living? 
It's a little tricky. We've got to do a little work. I read a blog this week by Katie. I don't know her last name. I don't know if she has a last name. Uh, she does that blog, Kisses from Katie. Uh, she, when she graduated from high school, she moved to Uganda. And she's never come back. She's adopted 13 um, girls in Uganda. And she's about 23, 24 now. You know, and she has 13 daughters. Uh, she feeds thousands of people a day. Um, she has really become the face of the, the most of you in here, uh, kind of the, the Christian millennial generation. Uh, those of you in here who grew up with baby boomer parents who, who, who sought success, who sought the house, who sought the, the materialism, who sought the, the fame and the name and the glory, and you looked at that and you said, you know, that's not what I'm about. That they, they, they acquired much and they accomplished much, but they didn't have real impact in the world. And who's going to remember them when they're gone? I mean, that's kind of the, the, what the theme of, of the 20, early 30-something Christians in the church. And we have many of them here. I mean, if that wasn't the mindset, I don't think this church would exist. I mean, how many MTR teachers and Teach for America teachers, how many Young Life leaders and uh, FCA leaders and Advanced Memphis um, um, employees and um, streets and, I mean, you just go down the list. But I want to I speak into that this morning because here's what scares me, and I've lived a little life. I'm not as old as, well, I'm, I'm getting old, um, okay? And I've lived a little life and I've seen some things. And here's what concerns me. Number one, I don't think I've ever been more encouraged by a generation than I am with the millennial generation. So don't take this as a hit. Take it as a warning. And here it is. It is very tempting and easy to react to those who lived under one law and see all the, all the, 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 the false reasoning and the false motivation of living under one law, but react by simply putting another law that looks sexier and, and, and more spiritual and more right. And here's the problem with that. Jesus said it's not those who, that, that he's not close to those who serve the poor. He said he is close to the poor. And what that means is, is that we are close to Christ not because of what we do, but because of our utter um, um, giving up on everything that we do that we might have Jesus. You see, we're not ultimately called, we're, we're looking for life. We're saying, okay, I'm going to live a meaningful life, an impactful life. I'm going to live on mission. And that's where I'm going to find meaning and significance. Mm, no, no, no. Jesus didn't say meaning and significance is found in, in inner city ministry and urban ministry. But he said meaning and significance is found in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so make sure that what you're doing with your life is being motivated by a passionate love for Jesus and not just another attempt to get to Jesus. And don't think that you're better because you are doing these things for Jesus. I tell you, I had somebody call me, didn't even go to this church, and they told me they want to have lunch with me, and I knew what that meant. He's probably listening to this sermon now, or he will be in the coming weeks, and I love him. He's a good friend. I've known him a long time. And he confronted me on some things that I said in my sermon. And he was dead on 
Um, because what I was saying was he thought I was condemning everybody that moves to the suburbs and moves out of the city. And I had to say, look, no, 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 (laughs) that's not what I meant, but I'm sorry. Because it doesn't matter where you live, it matters who you are where you live. Because there are people in the suburbs that are dying and going to hell too. And we need to be everywhere, okay? And so, do we hear that? Is it really about who we are, or is it about what we do? See, we can make Jesus' command, love your neighbor as yourself, the new materialism. You know? Uh, we, we can make stop and do for your neighbor the new success in business. got to be careful. How do you do that? You walk in the new way of the Spirit. Listen to Romans 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. you hear that? In order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Listen to that. We serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, what what Paul is saying in Romans 7 is this. We're all married. We're either married to the law or we're married to Christ and the gospel of grace. If we're married to the law, then we are living under that law. I must feed this many people today. I must give up this amount of stuff. I must not do that or might not buy this new thing or then I feel good with God. He says, no, that's just, that's death. That's death, because all you're going to do is if you choose to live this way, if nobody else decides to live this way, then you're going to feel like you're the only righteous person around. And you're going to see your flesh come alive, you're going to start judging people, and you're going to start hating people. I mean, that's how it works. But what is the new way of the Spirit? I bring nothing to you, O God, but my sin and my mess of a life. And you know what you do? You redeem me by your blood, and you love me through Christ, and I am yours. Now, at that point, many people say, well, you're preaching against the law, and this seems like we don't need to go out and live differently. No, what I'm saying is this. You obey what you love. And if God is who you love most, God is who you will seek to please. And what you're doing in trying to obey the law is you're trying to really love yourself. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to go obey so I feel good about me. Oh, it's a big love, self-love party. When in fact, what we need to do is say, there's nothing I can do, but all I can do is come and accept Jesus and fall into His arms and receive His grace and then go live in light of it daily. Because we obey what we love. Went to a wedding last night. 
And the young people stood up and said, I love you forever, no matter what. And you know what they're doing? This girl who's basically like one of my daughters, she is following this, her husband to Brazil. She has this, you know, you can come wreck my party, crash my party anytime kind of love, you know. Uh, because that's what love does. If you had told her a year ago, hey, you're going to be living in Brazil in about a year, and you're going to be served, she would have said, no, you're crazy. What happened? She fell in love. And now she's not looking back. Dear friends, what's going to happen when we fall in love with Jesus? He says to go, and he says to give something up, and he says to love that person. He says, I can bring joy in your life, and I can do this and that. I can make these changes. And right now, on this side of love, you say, there's no way. No, that, that, I can understand I can be somebody else. And you're, you're full of fear. You're full of resistance. Fall in love with Jesus. Don't look at the law. Look at Him. Look at His grace. Contemplate His work for you. And then let Him make those changes. And you will joyfully and gladly make those changes when you see His love. And friends, that's what these tables are all about. Jesus said, I want you not only to hear about my love, I want you to taste and know it. So come and eat and drink. And as you do, think about me and think about how much I love me, how much I love you. And then go live in light of that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the beauty of the cross and the beauty of these tables. And we pray this morning that in the quietness of this place that You would deal with our hearts so that we might let go of the things that bind us that we might be different people. Oh, God, how I want to be such a more loving man. How I want to be so much more patient. I know that it has everything to do with you, and I know that I'm not alone. If your Spirit resides in me. Deal with me. Win me. Make me different. And God, do that for my brothers and sisters here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.